What's up, everyone? Yes, it is I, your host, Natalie Morrison, and you might be thinking, wasn't this called Swim Masters? Well, yes, it was, and you're definitely in the right place. We decided that we wanted to give the podcast a bit of a makeover, and we're so proud to introduce to you Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast. Don't worry, it's still the same content, still the same hosts. We just wanted to take this to the next level. And we're excited that you're joining us on this fantastic journey. The episode that you're currently listening to was recorded before the name change. And I just wanted to let you know that you are in the right spot. So keep on listening. Be sure to subscribe and stay tuned for all new episodes of Revoicing the Future, a Women of NAM podcast coming soon. Welcome to Swim Masters, a podcast dedicated to help connect, grow, and support women in the music products industry. I am your host, Natalie Morrison. The Smart Women in Music Fund was established in 2018 by Robin Walenta, Dee Dee Hyde, and Crystal Morris to expand diversity, inclusion, and support for women in the music product space. Twice a month, I will sit down and host virtual conversations with various women across our industry to help foster mentorship and growth. Now, without further ado, Let's dive in. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Swim Masters. I'm your host, Natalie Morrison. Thank you for tuning in. Are you excited? Are you ready? It's time for another conversation, hence why you press the play button. But honestly, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in every other week. This has been an incredible experience so far, and I can't wait to see where this is going to take us even further, and I hope that you are learning a lot and are inspired, and yeah, basically, that's all I have to say. But I'm really excited to introduce to you our guest for the episode. I had the absolute honor of speaking with the incredible, inspiring, yes, Kit, I'm talking about you. Kit Culpepper from Martin Guitar. She is the director of channel strategy and she also spent a number of years as the director of sales. And I really hope you enjoy this episode, this conversation, and the message that she shares throughout. And I hope it encourages and inspires you more and more every day. So, with that being said, let's get started. Hi, Kit. Thank you so much for joining Swim Masters. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Natalie, I'm excited as well, and I'm honored that you picked me to to speak to everyone on this podcast. Just so happy to be here today. I'd love to start with a brief overview of your career journey and how you ended up in the music products industry. Well, career-wise, I like to describe myself as that floating feather in the Forrest Gump movie that always landed where it needed to land. And I've been using this um, metaphor for so long that I just always got where I was supposed to be because I somehow just followed my passion and my skill set. And with a very strong work ethic, 
I've always just gone for what I wanted. So I just need to say before I get into the career stuff, my sister and I were first generation to complete our college degrees in our family. And we're super proud of that. Yay. Yeah, thank you. And I'm not discounting anyone that came from a, you know, academic background or whatever, but I just always felt like I needed to say that, especially for aspiring professional women who might have in their minds, you know, like, well, I don't have you know, the education in my family, or I don't have, you know, that kind of positioning in my life. And it's like, dude, you know, my mom was a waitress. (laughs) She was a single mom. And she did a good job. I just have to put that out there, Natalie. Yeah, of course. That's amazing. And I hope it inspires other people as well. Thank you. I so do I. So so I've been a bank teller, a dog walker, a sneaker salesperson, a hotel receptionist. I have checked coats, okay? <laughs> and the reason I have to say that is because taking odd jobs helped me learn about people and learning from oh, people. Yeah. Yep, that's how you get to your next bigger role is with that like massive experience just talking to people. I'm from New York City. I grew up in Queens and Long Island. So I've been around very intense people. And I believe this is the ground where I learned to communicate. And through my years, professional opportunities, they just started showing up in front of me. And I I have to say that I don't feel like I've ever had to claw or climb or fight to advance my career. And the reason I say that is a lot of women that I speak to, career women are like, man, I feel like I've had to fight so much harder than my male counterparts to get to where I am. And I just, I have to admit, I've never felt that way. So I want the audience to know that. And I think that's just a personal mindset of Kit Culpepper. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's just like, I refuse to believe it. Trademark. It is. Yeah, it totally is. I just have to put that out there. My first professional job was at Chase Bank as a service line phone rep out in Jericho, Long Island. Um, And it was just, you know, customer service calling in about their bank accounts and stuff. Within the first six months, I was um, turned into a job coach and promoted to handling international customers. And a year later, I was a corporate service line trainer onboarding new reps in a three-month training program. That happened really quickly. And I think that that's kind of like the acceleration right there of who I am and where my skill set, you know, resides and what I'm passionate about, which is training and development, watching people learn and watching people grow. And there were really great lessons learned in that job about communication styles. So more on the talking with people, not just the customers, but also the, the employees that work there to help them understand, hey, we could win if we communicate the right way. So and also talent development, that was the beginning there. So I was with Chase for three years. And at that time, I was in my original band, um, Organic Juice. They were based out of Staten Island. And I was rehearsing three to four times a week. We were writing, recording, and gigging all the time. And um, I have to say, I attribute a lot of my collaboration skills to songwriting with a group of crazy musicians. <laughs> day in and day out. Try doing that. You are a musician, so you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. In an original band, you need to work really closely together. You try, fail, listen, execute, fail, play it live, fail, fail. Did I say fail? Oh, yeah. Let's just completely write that song, you know, and that kind of a thing. And I think that being in a band taught me much and that led to my professional career. So because I was in a band, 
I needed to get a job out of Long Island. I needed to leave Long Island. I needed to be closer to Manhattan because that's where we gigged a lot and we practiced a lot in Manhattan. So I looked in the Village Voice and that was way before, you know, we were online with Monster.com and Career Builder. I looked in the Village Voice for any job that would get me into New York City. And I found an outside sales rep position with a Fortune 100 consumer package goods company called RJ Reynolds. And that car, um, that car, that company gave me a car. They gave me a company car in a New York City territory. And I ruled this job. So it was kind of like, oh, my goodness, give me a dashboard with numbers on it and tell me the share of market in this territory and what my job is to grow the share of market. And I would measure myself on a day to day, weekly, monthly, quarterly and annual basis. Uh, yeah, that was, I was all <laughs> over it. So here I am, this brand new person with a company car measuring my success. I I blew up within a year. I was recognized as a top performer and I was already doing hip hip coaching and training with new reps. And then I was officially promoted to corporate trainer within two years of that job. And I was training new reps from all walks of life um, on a three month hip to hip program. And a lot of times my, my, the folks that came out of that, I got to train, they were college kids that were just um, first job kind of a thing. So I was able to watch them grow and, you know, really open their eyes to communication styles. And I taught a few of them how to parallel park their car. (laughs) Wow. Um, In the city? Yeah, in the city while eating a sandwich and talking our our big giant cell phones, those big block cell phones. Wow. (laughs) So I was with um, RJ Reynolds for for, I would say about um, five years. And uh, then I joined another company that was becoming a subsidiary company of, of them based out of Santa Fe, New Mexico called Santa Fe Natural. And this company, I joined them as regional director of sales in charge of a Boston, New York City and a Philly sales team. So talk about accents and eye rolls <laughs> and neck rolls. I know all about that, okay? Um, and I was managing managers at that point. Um, and those managers had territory reps under them. So I was managing, uh, you know, recruitment, training and helping build up territories. I was with this company for about seven years. And I'm, I'm proud to say that I helped them um, move to a much larger sales organization. And the time I was there, uh, when I joined the company, they were worth $385 million. And when I left, Shortly after they became a billion dollar company. And I'm very, very proud of this. I believe my work there in talent development um, was a big part. Then uh, finally, I was promoted from there back into the parent company called RAI as senior manager of training and development. I want to emphasize that I went from director, I took a role of senior management training and development. And that job oversaw the professional development and training of about 3,000 outside sales reps amongst a group of training peers of mine. For that job, I took a downgrade in my position name, but an upgrade in pay. And I realized how it looked on the outside. You know, on the outside, it might be like, oh, she went down from a director. Now I'm a senior manager. Well, in a Fortune 500 company, not everybody's a director and a VP. (laughs) Right. So I was in succession to be much, much more for this company, which is why they bought my house and moved me to North Carolina. And for this job, I traveled so much all over the country, managing, conducting large-scale training and certification events all over the U.S. I was only home one day a week to do laundry, and I really, yeah, I really miss my family. I learned the hard lesson, and I needed that lesson. 
that being away from my now husband, Steve, and my family was not healthy for me. I gained 30 pounds. And all I did was like eat junk food and like watch Little House on the Prairie oh. on the one Sunday I was off. And then I would be on an airplane again Monday, you know, wherever I was going to do. This is how I stumbled upon Martin Guitar. Steve and I made a pact. He was living in Pennsylvania and I was living in North Carolina. And we said, whoever finds a job first moves to that region of the country. And I found three amazing jobs, Santa Fe Pasteur, Coca-Cola Company, and the Martin Guitar Company. And um, I interviewed very rigorously for all three jobs. Coca-Cola and Martin Guitar made me an offer where Santa Fe passed for an inside person, but we were very close. And Coca-Cola chased me after I took the Martin Guitar job. And they were like, what can we do to get you? And the reason I'm telling the story is because they realized that I was a woman with the kind of experience they were looking for. I was a minority woman, which was even better because for their global succession goals, they need me. And I want this audience to know you're needed women in these types of jobs. So not for a second should you think, right? that they don't need you. And that part right there, I think, empowers women to just know your value, okay? They want you, so act like it, okay? So with that said, um, I picked Martin Guitar, and uh, let me tell you, Chris and Diane Martin, they're true leaders in diversity leadership. That's why I picked them. They believed in me, and I've learned hard lessons at the company since it doesn't have a million-dollar budget for me to spend on, you know, training certification programs. But I learned to be nimble and operate on a very high strategic level while swooping down simultaneously executing and training on very practical and weedy level. So that's my quick little how I got to Martin Guitar. That's incredible. Oh, I love it so much. (laughs) Thank you. It's been an incredible ride. It really has. It's just, it's so interesting to hear, especially with what you said about coca-cola trying to chase you and realizing that they wanted you because you're a woman and you're a minority woman and that they needed you in that role i hope all companies do that like hello (laughs) well there's you know there's the whole they need you and then there's the needle in the haystack of course they want a woman but they need to find the right woman. Yeah. So if you if you are a woman and you are talented and you have a good resume, you have a pretty good shot yeah. of being in really good positions. And, and for your personal succession, some of these, especially the larger companies, um, have laws that hold them accountable to do it. Right. So it's actually in your favor if you play it right and you communicate correctly. Yeah. You couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> so. Now we've gotten to Martin Guitar. You've had about two roles there, director of sales and now director of channel strategy. I'd love for you to talk about those two roles and the differences between the two and just, yeah, your journey at Martin. Absolutely. Well, the two roles, the director of sales, I saw the opportunity to stand out at Martin Guitar and affect meaningful change at Martin. And I led a group of district sales managers. And I'll have you know, I introduced the first female district sales manager in early 2019, which is huge, you know, for our company. Wow. Yes. Teresa Hoffman. And she rules. She just rocks. And she's just killing the job right now. And I'm super proud of her. I'm super proud of the whole team. But 
I, I feel really honored to have introduced the first female district sales manager to Martin Guitar. Yes. Um, and so, but when I joined the company, my DSMs were all men, some of which had been with the company and industry for decades. My customers were 99% men. But I, I'll tell you, I learned so much from them. I have so much respect for what they know and the caliber of talent. We laugh a lot on this team. So um, I never had a thought that they would be less respectful to me because I was a woman. I only worried that they thought, is she a knucklehead and not experienced enough here? But very quickly, they saw my work ethic and they saw I could get things done to improve their work life in sales. The job that I'm in now is director of channel strategy and programs. That was a newly created, much needed position. The organization, my boss, Mitchell Noman, saw way before COVID hit that our entire organization needed to be focused on the consumer and on the consumer shopping habits. And those shopping habits vary from consumer to consumer. My job is to help organize our channels and programs to be sure our consumers from all walks of life, male, female, however you like to shop, online, in the store, chat, phone, email, whatever you like to do, are able to access and engage with the Martin brand as delightfully as possible, as pain-free as possible. And so I got to tell you, the whole getting work done through others thing is still key here. Um, My project management, it's mostly project management now, and that's totally my thing. So those are the two positions at Martin Guitar. That's awesome. As a female leader in a male-dominated industry, what did you learn from that experience? That's such a great question. I love answering this question. Um, Anyone that knows me well, and Natalie, we're going to know each other well because we're going to have coffee soon and you're coming to the Martin factory. Yes. Anyone that knows me knows what I'm about to say on this topic. Okay. I, I've, I've really never felt lesser as a woman in a male-dominated industry. And because I have this, I think it's my own rose-colored glasses and my mindset about the whole thing is if you feel like a victim of discrimination, you may likely act like it, mm. okay? And when you act like it, you attract more of that undesirable stuff into your day-to-day. So I'm not saying that discrimination doesn't exist or that unfair treatment doesn't exist. All I'm saying is don't make it your daily mantra because your personal mindset is everything to your career path. People don't want a victim to lead their company. They want to hire people, women with personal leadership. And they're looking for people with resilience and perseverance. And so I see, in my opinion, opportunity as a minority woman in the industry. I have indeed met people in this industry, men specifically, that are disrespectful, rude, and condescending. But I think that they're just that way to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) A jerk is a jerk, right? A jerk is a jerk. And they're probably, the worst part is that they're that way to themselves. That's the saddest part is the way people conduct themselves is usually to others. It's just a mirror of themselves. So if you talk right. to somebody and you feel kind of slimy afterwards, I'm I'm kind of like that poor person. He must be so hard on himself, right? To be like that. So so I don't think it's just to women. I feel lucky that I have been just involved working with some of the most talented, gracious, and knowledgeable professionals I've ever worked with in my life in this industry. They're quirky. Some of them are downright nuts. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I would do that any day over selling insurance. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> this industry is great. <laughs> it's never dull. <laughs> never a dull moment. And so, so as a female leader in a male-dominated industry, I see nothing but opportunities for us to be truly us, to be women and not be a man. Don't be a man. Be a woman. It's a beautiful thing. Yes. We have a perspective nobody else does. That's all I have to say about that. I love it. I love it so much. So pivoting from that, (laughs) with such a demanding job, how do you maintain a work-life balance? Do you have any tips that have worked for you? Because I know you mentioned in your first answer that you noticed when you were in North Carolina that being away from family wasn't good for you. So yeah, you're touching on things that are really important, I think. They are. And that that sad, dark period of my life helped so much pave my way after that. And I still didn't really listen that clearly. You know, I needed another kick in the butt. Um, and, and with you, I will, I'm shaking my finger at you right now, you know, because I know you had your last meeting went through probably past six o'clock and, you know, me and you are on here at 7 PM at 7:30 now talking and you know why? Cause we love it. Exactly. We love what we do. We love what we do, but somehow in there, we still need to draw the line, right. Of cutting off work yep. and getting back with self-care Self-care was a huge topic that came up during the inaugural swim meet in March of 2020 with the group of women, that these amazing women that we work with. And here's a tip, and it's a very important tip here, okay? You, Natalie, me, Kit, okay? All of you women listening right now, you come first. Self-care is essential to grow your career. The reason this is important is because you will earn more respect from others when they see that you love and respect yourself. When they see a person who is disheveled and overworked, right? And just like cranky, (laughs) right? Cranky and just everybody else, all you lazy bums, you know, look at me working until six o'clock. They don't, they don't, they don't, I think that they, they actually, they see you as that poor woman is working herself to it, Right. Like what's going on with her? Respect yourself enough to say no to an evening dinner with clients if you're not feeling up to it and go to your room and re-energize yourself. Respect yourself enough to delegate work to others, enough to decline meetings that are riding up a bunch of other meetings because you need the space to regroup and charge. When you take that space to regroup and charge, people see that and they respect you more for it. And trust me, I'm still learning this now. I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm a workaholic, but I'll tell you something that workaholicism is no good, Natalie. I'm just telling you it's no good. It's not good on the mind, the soul, or the physical body. Yeah. I've learned that the hard way. I think a lot of people have learned that the hard way. And I have to say that this quarantine COVID situation has really forced me to put my self-care first. And I was already doing it and forcing myself to do it in January, like the, at the very beginning of the year. 
And I started to go to yoga classes like once a week. Like that was my goal for myself. It was like once a week, I'm going to hit a yoga class. I'm going to reset. And it's going to be great. And now I have been doing it every single day for the past six months. That is wonderful. Because it's the one thing that like. It's yours. I can, it's mine. No one can take it from me. <laughs> doing it for you. But it's so important. And it's important to talk about too, because I don't think we talk about it enough. We don't talk about it, Natalie, and it's also with nutrition, you know, so how many times have we been like, let's just quickly grab a pizza because I have a meeting, right? I have to go to a meeting. And so let's just just put this stuff in my mouth and just move on. No, 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 no. Self-care. You need to give yourself proper nutrition, proper sleep, proper vacation time, and you need to draw the line between work and play. It's critical. So that's my advice on that, maintaining work-life balance. So, you know, not everyone has a great relationship with their family, but whatever that thing is that makes you vibrate on a happy, you know, level, like I am giddy doing this thing and this is my personal thing, go find that thing and do that as often as possible. I love that. Everyone listen. <laughs> yeah, everybody listen. This is, this is important. Listen, me and Natalie know. Listen to us. <laughs> Don't make the same mistakes that we've made. I mean, sometimes you have to, but it's life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, as you mentioned, and I believe this is still true, you're in a band. I am. Which is awesome. In your opinion, since you're involved in multiple aspects of the music industry, what's your assessment on where we are with gender roles in both areas of music? Well, I I think there's a ton of opportunity to grow the MI business with women. Um, Personally, I've been a musician for, um, I'm just sad (laughs) to say, 30 years. You know, I've been around a bit. Um, I'm in a seven piece band called. Major Kit and the Bionic Defection. Yes. Yep, that's right. Major Kit and the Bionic <laughs> Defection with six guys. And I have two guitarists and a keyboard player. They're all from Martin. That's John, Dave, and Rory. And our sax player, Matt Truscott, Dan Evans on bass, and my husband, Steve, is on drums. And, and I'm in the music scene. Yeah, I'm in the music scene. And there are women all over the place playing music, writing music, producing, recording, live performing. Um, I was in a band before this band called Pulp Flannel. We were doing 90s rock, and it was like a really fun thing to have a female doing all the Soundgarden and Alice in Chains yes. and STP stuff. That was all me. And, you know, and when I got out there playing, there there are tons of women out there performing. So I think from a business standpoint, from the key retailer side of things, I think our retailers have done just an amazing job of making women comfortable in their stores and they've adapted much more friendly selling styles because I still remember in the late nineties walking into um, music stores and being really turned off mm. by the attitude of some of the male salespeople is like, Oh, she's a woman. She can't be that good, you know, at, at, at this. And um, you know, imagine how much business they lost just from having that attitude. And it's wildly different now. It's just, um, it, and this gives me a lot of hope because I think that there's a, you know, like Dee Dee and Robin, um, on the swim team. And um, of course, Crystal, I mean, they represent big pieces of the pie here. And that's the goal of swim is to get more women 
um, in the business, in the advertisements. We want to see more ads depicting confident women playing their instruments, singing, producing, whatever it is, violin, drums, electric guitar. The more diversity in these ads, the better for our businesses. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. We want future musicians or anyone who wants to work in this industry to actually be able to see themselves. And it's important that everyone is represented. I think we're all going in the right direction. It's just, um, I think it was Didi who pointed out during the inaugural swim um, event that a mere 3% of us, Natalie, in the in my business are in these type of C-suite management type uh, director executive roles. And so the goal here is to, you know, promote from within, I should say, our circle of MI peers, you and I and everyone else that is going to rise from rep to manager and manager to director to senior director to VP and president. We're on our way. I really believe this. That's awesome. And I'm excited to see just the industry push forward in the, this much needed direction because it's only going to help everyone. Mm-hmm. What advice do you have for women looking to move their way up in the industry? I have a couple of um, pointers. So advice, I would say you're going to get great coaching from your bosses and from your peers and, and sometimes from the folks that report to you. And then from time to time, you may get some not so great coaching in your career. But people that know me hear me say this, all feedback is a gift, even when the feedback is negative. Accept the feedback because it doesn't mean they were right. But the person that gave you this feedback just also gave you perspective on how they see you. And that is golden information. So, so that is like key. I really want the audience to hear me because a lot of times coaching is a, kind of funky. You know, some people are like, hey, they have no right to criticize me. You know, I do better in this one. Why are they criticizing me? And it's just like, don't listen that way. When I'm listening to feedback, I'm like, oh, this, this person's about to tell me how they see me. That's how I listen to it. And then when they say nice things, I'm like, and they're right. <laughs> <laughs> But when they, they say something, that, I'm all joking here, but when they say something that I don't like, that's when I really lean in to listen. And that's when I start asking questions because it's golden information. So in, in reflection in the past, I would sometimes get feedback during a performance review or something. And I was told things like, and now I'm really going to share something deeply with you. Okay. So when I were to, I was told things like, you know, to grow and to really move up in your career, I really kid, you need to be more high level, more strategic, more executive in your presence, you know, because you, you spend a lot of time, naturally, you spend a lot of time in the weeds because yeah. of your job, right? But but you need to be more analytical. You know, you're a really great leader of people, but you're kind of weak in the area of analysis. This is an example I'm giving you of a typical kit performance review. <laughs> so then in my head, I leave that performance review like, thank you, all feedback is a gift. But somehow I carry home a thought about myself, which is, oh, they're looking for someone more analytical and I'm not analytical enough to be a leader. And I may have somehow punished myself in my past thoughts and emotions when I heard this feedback and somehow it logged unconsciously in my brain. And, and I, I say to, to me now, kit version 2.0, 
you know what, Kit, this, that feedback was totally subjective. Why did you internalize it? How on earth can you say you're not a good leader because I wasn't analytical enough? Really? Oprah Winfrey hated spreadsheets. If you read about her, she's the last person you want to talk analytics with, but she was a highly engaging spokesperson, which is why she's the, you know, worth billions and billions of dollars and highly sought out. She never said to herself, well, I'm just not analytical enough to be successful. So I share that story with you guys as, as, um, advice Mm. about coaching. Yes. I love that. Thank you. I'm thinking about it now because it just, it just resonated. So we want people to validate us. So when we sit down with our boss or someone that's about to coach us, we want them to just pour all these accolades on us. Who doesn't like that? That feels really good. All I'm trying to say is when you get feedback, that's not so great. Consider a gift and don't internalize it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Thank you. So for our final question, what do you consider as key attributes for any successful career? I know that's a little broad, but. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great question and it it is very broad, but I'll try to make it as succinct as possible. And and I'm going to try to make this specific to women, Um, although many men will benefit from hearing this. But key attributes are personal leadership, taking full accountability for what you need to do. You have to have a level of influence and credibility with people. You have to have a very strong confidence about yourself. Um, and you need to know how to, to develop talent because at the end of the day, you can't do it alone. It takes a village. And, you know, I personally believe in honing on people's strengths. You know, a lot of people focus on their weaknesses. You build up the weaknesses, but I'm just like God's gift to you. You were born with this talent. Let's milk that talent and get you in a job that you're good at. Okay. But here's the part I really want people to hear. Okay especially for women, because I think a lot of women fall into this problem as a key attribute. Women need to be able to demonstrate that they can be a critical, high-level strategic thinker more, okay? So oftentimes we get started in our careers and we're in these kind of execution-type jobs, you know, running teams, you know, budgeting, all this day-to-day stuff that's really important to the business. Business is like, great job, Natalie and Kit. Man, you are just an execution machine, aren't you? But really, really don't see you operating in that strategic sphere, you know, and the critical thinking in my brain. I'm going, that's because I'm in a job where 39 people are reporting to me and I have to write performance reviews and I'm totally in the weeds with them about the budget every single day. Right. But, but, but it's a key attribute that is desired from any executive level um, folks that are looking to promote from within and to move up. And so we need to be able to swoop from critical thinking to execution and to do it. I believe in many cases, talented women get labeled good at execution, but needs help in strategy because, because their bosses or the executive members that are watching them, this is all they see of them. So if you get too comfy there and you don't take advantage of showing your strategic thinking in front of the right people at the right time, you can fall into that pit. So you need to be very conscious and opportunistic about this opportunity. Does that make sense, Natalie? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. That resonates with me a lot. I, I have to take, I have to take that piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. 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 
Well, I, I think that, um, you know, after leaving the swim summit with the group of women, we talked a lot about this, which is how do you move into C-suite jobs, right? You yeah. don't just, you know, you know, just like these are the building blocks of them. And so I've been at the crossroads of these jobs and, you know, I'm the director right now of channel strategy and programs. It's a very, 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 very great position. I spend the rest of my life in this position. And quite frankly, between me and you, I'd be a janitor at Martin Guitar. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anything to stay at Martin Guitar. But I'm in a relatively high level job operating strategically with the rest of the team. And do I have a desire to move up into C-suite? I absolutely do. So I've gotten this coaching before. So it's coming from a very real place. Uh, what I'm trying to tell the audience here is balance showcasing yourself, showcase that critical thinking and that strategic thinking and all those skills that they need you to have in order to be considered for those type of jobs. Even when you're in an execution oriented job, you need to be opportunistic about it. Find yourself opportunities where you can demonstrate that you are that person. Well, Kit, thank you so much. I think everything that you have said will resonate with so many people and your words are extremely inspiring. And I just thank you again for taking the time to join us and telling your story and showing our audience that they can be who they want to be. And I'll tell you what, Natalie, I I do have a closing comment for folks and women and anybody, you know, in business about manifesting success. And that is to be as authentic as you can be and to be as true to your strengths as possible. And Mary Larson, the director of NAM Public Affairs and Government Relations, she shared this really great idea on how to manifest success. And that is, she said, quote unquote, find that itch and then go and scratch that itch. And that really resonated with me. We strive for things that make us excitedly leap out of bed every day. Good things will manifest. So for those of you striving to be a VP or president, just to be VP or president, you're probably going to have a harder time than just being right now the VP and president of your passions. And if you can be the VP and president of your passions now, the more you follow those things that make you tick, the more likely you'll manifest success and career that aligns with the things you care about. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun. You're welcome. You heard it here first, everyone. <laughs> Take this advice. <laughs> Natalie, you rule. That's all I have uh, to say. You rule. <laughs> Thanks, Kit. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Swim Masters. Don't forget to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn to stay up to date on all new things swim. We'd love it if you'd share and leave us a review. If you would like to learn more, please visit www.smartwomeninmusic.org. This episode was co-produced and edited by Stephanie Lamond and Natalie Morrison. See you next time.